0: actually going to spend one more Sunday. That's today in John chapter number one. So if you'll join me there. John chapter number one. We've been in this passage for the entire month. The title I have given to the series is Seeing God. Seeing God. I like this, this section this morning verse 16 and 17 of chapter number 1 I like it for of his fullness we have all received and grace upon grace for the law was given through Moses grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ we're going to spend our time on this study this morning this evening we're going to finish with verse number 18 Of this same passage. But today we're going to talk about the things we have received. Much like children who want to talk about what they received uh, this past week as gifts. Maybe some adults like to talk about that too. But uh, we have received much and we will talk about that. What a great theme for today. Uh, John started this conversation back in verse number 12 of those who have received him. And we're going to talk about what we have received. So let's talk to our Lord first. Heavenly Father, again, thank you for your word. Thank you that uh, our focus is set upon Jesus Christ this morning. And as we uh, study one more time from this passage, help us to see you, to understand and to apply these things to our hearts and lives that we might live for you. We have another year set before us, Lord, one that we seek To bring great honor and glory to your name. So, work in our hearts today and change us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, today, fully look at the results for those who have received Him. The results are in these verses here For of His fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. I much prefer to be on this side of the conversation. Speaking of the things that we have received. I like to speak about that. Uh, in John's day, there were so many who rejected him. And I would say there's still many in our day and age that have rejected him. You ask them Why? You might find a host of answers. Um, among them would be those who say, well, it just doesn't seem reasonable. And there's a cause for that. Why they would say such a thing is that we are not saved by reason. We are saved by faith. Right? Scripture says so. Faith is the assurance of things hopeful. The evidence of things not seen. Not seen. In John's day, maybe, maybe it's the way we perceive things. If we look back on certain events in history, it would have been different if we were there, right? Adam and Eve in the garden. If you were Adam or you were Eve, of course you wouldn't have done what they did, right? In the days of Noah, there would have been more than eight people on the ark, right? I would have been in there, you would have been in there. We go back over history and we say, you know what, it would have been different. In the days when Jesus walked on this earth and he conversed with man face to face, they could hear his voice, they could see him, they could touch him, as John would say, if we were there, we wouldn't have been among those who rejected him, would we? Not us. There was so much evidence back there that we would say, of course we would have believed him because... I mean, we had every reason to. How could they have missed that he was God? Considering all that uh, was happening around them. Raising the dead, would that have convinced you? Healing the sick, lame walking, blind seeing, deaf hearing, would that convince you? Calming a storm, would that convince you? Well, for some it didn't. Because rejection, you see, is a heart issue. It's a heart issue. It's not a deficiency in evidence. It's a heart issue. In our day, people would say, well, you know, uh, I can turn away from what you say because I've never seen him. They had an advantage back then. I haven't seen him. I haven't seen him. Have you seen him? Don't stand up and say, I have. Right? Scare me to death. We haven't seen him. uh, But we believe. We believe. I don't need eyes to believe him. I don't need to have touched him to believe him. Back in Peter's day, when he's writing some 30 years later... After the ascension of Christ, he's writing with absolute amazement to a congregation who has faith in Christ and has been scattered for their faith. And he's writing to them and he says these words. He says to them, He says, And though you have not seen him, you love him. That's amazing to Peter. I saw him. And Peter could go through his story and say, you know, there were some struggles in my life as to believing him and trusting him and things like that. He could take you out on the water and sink with you if you want, just to prove it. But he had struggled with, you know, he's a Christian, yet he then fails him on the next breath. And then he's writing to these folks, and they hadn't even seen him. And they love him. And he says, and though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Hopefully, folks, that is our testimony too. We haven't seen him, but do we love him? We haven't seen him right now, but do we believe him? And do we rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory? That was their testimony. And it wasn't even enough for them to say, I believe in him. But they also surrendered their very lives for their faith in Jesus Christ. They were persecuted and many lost their lives. Because, you see, they had received something far more precious than just their own lives. They had received Jesus Christ. That's who they lived for. I wonder... How valuable is he to us today? How valuable is he to us today? As we've been looking through John's uh, chapter here, in chapter number one, this is how he spoke of him. In the first five verses, he spoke of his deity He said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness. That's deity written all over it, as we studied that. But here's a fact. The fact, that this is speaking of deity, and the fact that we can read it and understand it and see it, that doesn't save a person. Facts never save people. Faith saves people. Faith in what they have heard. Satan knows these same facts, doesn't he? Yes, he does. The the fact that Jesus Christ is God is written all over this universe and written in this scripture and it's written in our hearts and yet there are still so many who walk away from the fact. That's what he says at the end of verse 5. The darkness did not comprehend it. He says in verse 9, And the true light which comes into the world enlightens every man and he was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. There's still rejection says in verse number 11, He came to His own, and those who were His own did not receive Him. There's still rejection, even though the facts are before us. And so, verse 14, The Word became flesh. That's His incarnation. He came. The Word became flesh. And John had just said in verse 12, There were those who received Him. And as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even as the rest who believe in his name, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So that's where we are today, right? As those who have received. I hope that's where you are. We have received him. We know who he is. Now, John is going to add to this, picture, this argument, all the way through this passage. He is God, and there are those who receive him. And he's going to bring three groups, or three individuals, and some parts of that are groups, as as witnesses to the deity of Jesus Christ, and those who have received him. And he's going to walk us through this. And I think it's fascinating. It really starts at the end of verse number 14. He says, we saw his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out, saying, "He, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received grace upon grace, and the law was given through Moses, grace and truth realized through the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's start with this first witness. Let's ask John the Baptist to speak for a minute. As you probably have noticed as I've been going through this passage, I've been omitting all the verses on John the Baptist because I wanted to focus on Christ, seeing God. I wanted that focus especially. But today we're going to say, John, come up here and tell us what you saw. Tell us about what you saw concerning this one. And he starts to speak to us here. Let's go back to verse 6. Verse 6, there came a man, it says, from God. His name was John. Now, that's not the writer of this book. That's John the Apostle wrote this book. John the Baptist is who he's going to refer to here. His name was John. He came, verse 7 says, he came as a witness. Underscore that in your mind. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify, he says it again, testify about that light. Now that word witness, testify, and then a second time testify, It said here, all comes from the same Greek word that we get our word martyr from. Back then, to be a testimony of Jesus Christ, to speak of Jesus Christ, led to martyrdom on many occasions. It's interesting that they used the exact same word. To testify meant to, the, it was the word for martyr. They were willing to give of themselves for this news. Well, in verse number 15, John testified about him. Cried out, saying, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. This is John again in verse 19. The testimony of John. When the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? They were amazed at this man. They had never seen a a character like this in their day and age. He was out the side of the Jordan River more times than not. He dressed himself in camel hair. He'd had some honey dipped grasshoppers for lunch very unusual character they thought and he was preaching and he was baptizing and people were coming to him and coming to him and coming to him as he would proclaim and he kept mentioning somebody was coming he kept talking about a somebody who was on his way that he was just here to lay the path out straight for as somebody who is coming. And uh, the anticipation was building. And finally, the, the priests and Levites had just about enough. And they said, find out who that man really is. So they sent some individuals to him. And they said, who are you? And in verse 20, he confessed. He did not deny but he confessed. I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Messiah you're looking for. They said, well, then who are you? Are you Elijah? Probably his costume, right? No, I'm not Elijah. Are, are you Are you uh, um, the prophet? The prophet. Moses said the prophet was coming. And they were always looking for the prophet. And they couldn't figure out who the prophet was. But they knew he had to have been important. And he says, no, I'm not the prophet. I'm not the prophet. And he says to them, who are you then, so that we may give an answer to those who sent us? Who do you say you are? Who do you say of yourself? He says, this is it. Verse 23. I am a voice a one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as Isaiah the prophet said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees and they asked him and they said why then are you baptizing if you are not Christ or the Elijah or the prophet? And Jesus or John answered them saying I baptize in water but among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thorn of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. Now these things took place in Bethany, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, he saw Jesus coming to him, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What a declaration. This is he on behalf of whom I said... After me comes a man who is of a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing water. John testified saying, I have seen the Spirit descending on him as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen... Watch his words. They're fascinating. I have seen and testified that this... Can you see him pointing? This is who? The Son of God. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God! The two disciples heard him speak and they followed him. Look at that one more time. Look at that. The two disciples heard him speak, John speak, and they followed Jesus. I want to ask a simple question because all of a sudden it just comes to mind here. If somebody heard us speak of Jesus, would they follow him too? Would they? What have we said about Jesus that reveals how precious he is to us? What have we said? Wouldn't it be exciting to think that all you have to do is speak of Jesus and people would say, I want to follow him too. I want to follow him too. This same passage reminds me of, a, of an instance that I read about in history concerning Charles Spurgeon. After several years of ministry, they realized that the Uh, church structure they were in was just too small. The the congregation was much larger, and they, so they started to build a brand new auditorium, Metropolitan uh, Tabernacle was the name of it. And as they're building it, uh, he went in to inspect with a couple of uh, workers to see how the progress was coming on that building, and, and he why he test the acoustics. He came up to the pulpit area and uh, he read this passage, Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. That's pretty good acoustics. He didn't realize that that man up in the rafters working had his heart struck with that passage and came to know Christ as his Savior. When's the last time you said anything about the Son of God, the Lamb of God, Your Savior, Jesus Christ. And somebody responded and followed him. That's John's testimony. I like it. Don't you? They heard him speak. And they followed Jesus. Now let's go back to this. Because what John had said and testified leads us right into verse number 16. All that is the information that leads us, because verse 16 says, For, and that's based on John's testimony as well, For of his fullness we have all received. Now all of a sudden John is speaking, the apostle. John, the writer of this chapter, is writing as he does. He he says, we've experienced these things. Matter of fact, I think he was one of those two that followed Jesus that day. But here, John says, we have received, we have received, and he's speaking and we, he's representing the whole group of the disciples, I believe. And he says, this is our testimony. We have all received of his fullness, and grace upon grace. Now, that's a neat picture. We have we received of the fullness of him, even grace upon grace. there's a little picture in that. Matter of fact, there are a couple of pictures. I was working through some uh, thoughts, and I had one, and then I found another one in a commentary. And it's kind of like this. If you take a coin, and you take this coin, and you you exchange it for something else. This is a quarter. Maybe uh, down the road, we'll be giving that for a gallon of gas. Wouldn't that be nice? I remember when there were two quarters for a gallon of gas. A long time ago. But... Here, if we exchange this for something, the, the picture is in this word. Something in exchange for another. Trading one thing for another. And what's he trading here? I've got grace, and guess what I'm receiving in, in back, in return? Grace. Giving grace, receiving grace. Grace I have, more grace I receive. Grace I have, more grace I receive. It's kind of the picture of the priest who would come into the tabernacle or even later into the temple with fresh bread to put on the table of showbread. And what did they take off that table? Bread. And what did they replace on that table? More bread. And they exchanged one for the other. And then Jeremiah would write this in Lamentations. He says, for his mercies are new every morning. What did you have yesterday? Mercy. What do you have today? Mercy. It's almost like I get a fresh one. Grace upon grace. One commentary pointed that out. Oh, Said That's pretty neat. But here's a picture I had too. You take to the same coin and you know there's a different image on either side. You've got a, a president's head on one side generally. And you've got some sort of a image. It used to be uh, eagle. But now we've got trees. We've got mountains. We've got everything you can imagine on the side of a quarter. But... We would, we would explain these things as sometimes heads and tails. We'd flip them and, and, you know, there was a contrast in the picture. But there was one coin with a contrast. One side was this and the other side was that. But here's what it comes down to for us. We have received grace. And we turn it over and guess what we find? Grace again! Think of it for a minute. We see grace on one side. And then he comes and gives us what? Grace. And then the next day, guess what he's going to give us? Grace. And grace upon grace upon grace. Try to imagine this. Jesus didn't wake up in a bad mood when he was with the disciples. He was never selfish. He was never unkind. He was never vindictive. Kind of like your home, right? Every day is just beautiful and full of grace, right? Sometimes, maybe. You aim for a couple of days a week. All the time. That's what the disciples lived with. Can you imagine? For three and a half years, all they ever received from him was grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And guess what the next day brought him? Grace again. Could you live with that? Wow. No, they saw his righteousness, didn't they? They'd been rebuked by him once or twice or more than that even because of their lack of faith and their disobedience. But it was always grace. And it was always grace. And it was always grace. And that's what John is saying his testimony was. Day after day, moment after moment, it was grace. It was grace. We have all received that, he says. Oh, what a a position he was in. To walk next to him. Grace upon grace. Even those who would not believe. Good old Thomas. We have to bring up Thomas, don't we? Little old Thomas, after Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he wasn't with the disciples when Jesus appeared, remember? Oh, it's John, by the way, who records this in his book. He says, Thomas says, Well, unless I am able to put my hands in the imprint of the nails, put my finger in the place of the nails, put my hand into his eyes, I will not believe. After eight days, his disciples were again inside Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, he stood in their midst and he said, Peace to you. And he looked at Thomas. And guess what his answer was to Thomas? Rebuke? Smash him for his unbelief? No. Grace. One more instance of a grace moment here. Reach here, your finger. See my hands. Reach here your hand. Put it in my side. Do not but unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas said, my Lord and my God. This is a testimony of all of these disciples, for they all were there. Doubting. Disobeying. Not believing. All these times they said the wrong thing. Remember? Hey, let's call it on fire and just burn up that neighborhood. You know, these kind of guys. And what is their testimony about Jesus? What have we received from him? Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Oh, what a precious thing that is. You bring up Nicodemus. You know him, don't you? Nicodemus, who came to him by night, had no idea. Being a teacher of Israel, had no idea what the truth was. Jesus walked him through that. Walked him through that. What's the last record we have of Nicodemus? You know? He's carrying a body from a cross. He's helping to bury his Lord and Savior. Is that grace? A change of a heart for a teacher of Israel to come to know him as Savior and Lord? What a picture these disciples had. You can go through them over and over and over. And this is the way John likes to speak to this. He says, he's come to us and we received, we received grace upon grace upon grace. He also says in John chapter 3, he who has received his testimony has set his seal to this, that God is true. For whom, he whom God has sent, speaks the words of God, and He gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son, and it's given all things into His hand. And he who believes in the Son has eternal life. We have received. We have received. Isn't that... I, I just find that exciting. For who are you talking about, John? You're talking about these guys who were brought up in the law, right? Good old Jews. They understand the value of the law. They lived under the law of Moses. It was a creed. It controlled their day. It controlled their diet. It controlled their holiday. Everything was wrapped around this law. And the witness of Jesus changed everything to them. For he says in verse 17, We were given the law through Moses. Then grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. He's not diminishing the value of the law when he said that. The law was glorious. It was necessary. Every nation that seeks to be blessed by the Lord needs to do what's right. Including this one. Blessed is a nation whose God is the Lord. God blesses the nation that walks in righteousness... That doesn't mean that they're right in man's eye, or that they're right in man's opinion, but they're right in God's declared truth. That nation, our nation, none of them are exempt, for God knows what is right and God knows what is wrong. He has recorded it for us. He's declared it for us. That's what the law did. It declared what was right. The results of the law were simple. It condemns us because guess what? We did not do it. We did not do it. So we're condemned guilty sinners. You know what we figure is the best solution for that? Then get rid of the law and then we'll all feel better. Right? That's an easy way to solve a problem. Just get rid of the law because that's what's hurting us. Doesn't mean the law was wrong, we were wrong. We didn't live up to the standards of holiness. They were wrong. They didn't live up to the standards of holiness. But Jesus did live up to the standards of holiness. Jesus even did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. Matter of fact, he did concerning the law what we couldn't do ourselves. You want a good example of that? The wages of sin is death. Who fulfilled that? Who is the one who died to take our place? Right? Right? He did that. He fulfilled the aspect of the law on our behalf. So, for those who went about boasting that the law is for Moses, the law is for Moses, they needed to remember that Moses was given that law. Moses did not write that law. Moses was not the author of that law. He didn't originate it. He didn't manipulate it to his own liking. Moses was just as accountable to that law as everyone else. We were all accountable to it. He's just merely the instrument the Lord used to have the law written down. God is the author of the law. Now, here's the big difference. Moses was called to give the law. From Jesus came grace and truth. He's the source of grace and truth. That's John's testimony to you today. As we read it. Grace has been given to them from Jesus. Grace upon grace from the source of grace. Jesus. It wasn't altered to match their frailties. It wasn't lowered so that they can reach it. It was always matched with truth. Always. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. He knew full well, folks, that we couldn't live up to a law. He knew full well. That we needed a Savior. And He took on flesh to dwell among us and to pour out upon us grace upon grace upon grace. That's our second witness. That's what John had to say. He says, this is what He did for us. And we have received it. So who's our third witness today? We have John the Baptist. We have John the Apostle. And all of a sudden, I've got a need for a third witness. And I ask, will you be that witness? Will you be that next witness that we bring forward? Can we say we've received the same grace? Absolutely so. Did we need it just as much as then? Absolutely so. Do we have the same Savior? Absolutely so. We can be that third witness, can't we? We can step up here now and we can speak like John spoke about this one and see people come and follow him. We can do that. We can be like John the Apostle. We can have a testimony that's clear. I hope ours is clear. That we're declaring that the grace of Jesus Christ has been given to us. It's grace upon grace from the very source of grace. And we want to talk about that, don't we? We want to share that. He didn't measure that according to our frailties. He knew we couldn't reach it. He always gave it according to truth. He knows what's expected of us too. And he knows the law. We couldn't keep it. So he came as our saviour. He fulfilled it for us. He took on flesh to be our Savior. He poured out upon us grace, upon grace, upon grace. Is that our testimony? I hope so. Because we have to respond to this, don't we? This whole passage of God taking on flesh to dwell among us, it wasn't just to give us something nice to speak about during Christmas time. It was that we would have something that we have received that we want to tell folks. Just like the little kids who get their gifts at Christmas, they've got to tell you what they got. Who have you told lately about the grace you have received? When's the last time you talked about Jesus? And what He's done for you? I'm going to leave that to work in your heart today. Think it through. As John could say, we have received. And we can say, we have received. Who have we told? That's our challenge. Come tonight and we'll finish it in verse number 18. Fascinating verse thirteen. Heavenly Father, you see every single person in this room. You know our hearts. You know our hearts. We are so thankful For the grace you have given to us. Truly as it says. Grace upon grace. You just continue to shower it upon us. Lord how often we have been callous. We have been dull in our senses. We have been ungrateful. We have been forgetful. We have been too busy. We have been afraid. We have been too reserved. We let the calendar control us and not the grace of our God. And we have let seasons go by and opportunities go by when we didn't speak of our Savior. Lord, prompt our hearts with a passage like this. Help us to be like these men who stood so many years before and didn't even consider their life a precious thing. They considered Jesus to be their precious thing. And they shared Him. And they talked about that grace that they have received over and over and over again. And we have too. So prompt our hearts to be like theirs. We have a cause to talk about. We have a Savior to talk about. Open our mouths, we pray, and excite our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.